it comes back to discipline. You know, the, the, the spiritual disciplines are called discipline for a reason. It's a daily thing that you have to do. So most of the reasons why you'll be successful are because you're willing to do some mundane things that nobody else is willing to do. Welcome to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast, and we host practical conversations on what it looks like to lead and even just to live well. And today's conversation is about leadership with a friend of mine, Todd Adkins. Now, Todd is involved in all kinds of leadership development conversations and processes and even creating new content, especially for churches today. He's passionate about discipleship and where that intersects with our leadership. So as always, grab a cup of coffee, grab your notebook, get ready to take some notes. There's some leadership gold in today's episode with Todd Adkins. Let's talk about moving from intuitive leadership to intentional leadership. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast, and I always love having guests on, but I'm particularly excited for today's guest. Uh, Todd Adkins is with us, and so I am excited to crack open some meaningful conversations with Todd. Todd, it's great to have you on the podcast today, man. Oh, man, it's great to be here. So one thing I know about Todd is that he is a learner. He is an avid learner, and he's really curating learning for a lot of different people, always looking ahead, looking at trends, trying to figure things out, and is just a curious person. And so in our exchanges together, Todd, I'd love just learning from you, what you're learning. Uh, it's always fun to kind of keep on that, whether it's your Twitter feed, what you're learning through podcasts, podcasts you're launching. Uh, it's always fun. So we want to crack open those conversations. But first of all, um, back us up, share your story a little bit. How'd you get into ministry? And now what does your role at Lifeway look like? Well, um, I, I mean, it's really odd when you look back and I guess everybody's story is a little odd, right? I mean, because you're like, you couldn't have scripted the life that God has kind of led you through the journey that he's led you on to kind of be where you are. Um, but for me, I mean, I was in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky is where I was born and raised, went to um, smaller churches, smaller country churches, um, my whole, you know, my whole young adult life, uh, before I went off to college. And then in college is when I kind of felt the call, you know, to ministry, um, was a student pastor in an inner city setting that I could tell you some pretty insane stories, um, about, uh, many of which I wouldn't be in ministry. If those ever saw the light of day, <laughs> we'll we'll have confession session after we stop recording today. How about that? Okay. Well, I can tell you one incident. One of these. Go incidents. for it. Okay. So one incident was, you know, I'm from a rural area. So what do you do? What student ministry look like in the rural areas in the nineteen early 1990s? Uh, that would be lock-ins. So I decide I'm going to have a lock-in, and this is, you know. Uh, Cincinnati, if you don't know, Cincinnati is, um, it, it has very dangerous pockets. Uh, and our church was located in one of these very dangerous pockets. And whenever I was there after dark, 
I was supposed to call the local precinct and let them know that I was there. Otherwise, they would actually come check on the church because it had been broken into so many times and so on and so forth. So I'm having a lock-in, and I forget to call. Now, we played this weird game of like reverse sardines. The church had been built onto, I don't know how many times, massive church, but the neighborhood had completely shifted over the last you know 50 years or so. And so this is old, dilapidated church that not many people attended, but was still massive and had lots of great places to hide. So everybody's hiding. And um, then you try to, you have two different teams and somebody's getting back to base. So cops drive by uh, and they're just flashlights. You know, all they see is flashlights going on uh, around the church. So apparently they had called back up and I come back in. Uh, luckily, I was the first in um, back into the you know fellowship hall in the basement, which had a side entrance, which the police had come through. And I run back in to that room um, and you know kind of slide across the floor as I hear shotguns racking and German shepherds barking. So there's about six, probably maybe a few more cops. I don't know, but there were very distinctly. I remember uh, two German shepherds on these you know metal. Um, I don't know. They were basically holding them back. They were about to release them. I've never been yelled at so much in my entire life uh, because they were like, do you realize what would have happened to your students if we had turned these dogs loose? Um, or somebody could have Sounds been like a good start to youth ministry right there. Oh, it was great. It was a great start. And, you know, honestly, if if I really think about it, and this this really wasn't planned, but... You know, if you think about my life and ministry and where I am today, part of what I see my job as doing is effectively equipping people for the work of the ministry. And that's not just staff people, that's also, you know, lay people. And if I look at how I got into ministry and how most people, if you're in ministry or you're part of a church, how you get into a role, it's often quite similar to what I'm just describing. It may not be quite as dramatic, but we're often thrown in to the middle of it, sink or swim. We just kind of have to figure it out as we go along versus somebody actually preparing and equipping us to do that. Um, so fast forward, uh, somehow I made it through that and you know unscathed and I end up in uh, seminary. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a professor who, a dean actually, who allows me to read business books instead of what I was supposed to be reading in seminary and contextualize those for the church. And um, so I consider myself already, you know, a leadership guru type. Um, I've got a church there. I'm doing the adult ministry, but also young adult ministry. And man, I'm really passionate about young adult ministry. It is late nineties now. And you know, that's the thing then. And so I've got this thing, it's called Elevate. I know that's just a, an amazingly uh, original name. Uh, but, you know, that ministry is going really well. The pastor says, hey, forget your MDiv, just get your mace and come on, you know, come, come do this with us full time. Well, he did not have enough change in his pocket to actually make that happen. And when that didn't happen, I was somewhat upset. And I had met this uh, interesting guy who thought similarly similarly to me, a name Eric Geiger. And we went up and started this thing up in Cincinnati. 
uh, and it it really blew up and it was you know really successful early. Well, I come back six months later to the ministry that I had left. It was you know a couple hundred. It was going really well, but what happened was it was decimated. There were maybe sixty people there on a Sunday night where there had been hundreds before, and so when I it it literally broke me because I had practiced leadership placement not leadership development. And I was a guy who had considered myself, you know, this leadership guy uh, early on and passionate about leadership, but I'd failed to multiply myself in other people. I'd failed to actually do what I was called to do according to scripture as a church leader and frankly, as a disciple, and that's create other disciples. So I had, it wasn't that I didn't put good people in place, but I had built a ministry on personality and hustle. And that is when I had like, I don't know if I would call it a, I would call it an awakening. Um, You know, there's the time that you're awakened to Christ and who he is. And there's a time that you move into understanding who he's created you to be. Uh, And those are great. Those are great things. But most of us, um, most of us never make that third awakening and something has to, to, to really shake us and help us understand my legacy is not what I do it's who I develop. And as a leader, my fruit grows on other people's trees. And that's not about taking credit for something uh, from away from somebody else. It's understanding that at the end of the day, whether it's uh, I'm going to leave this position in a few years, or I'm going to leave this earth in a few years, when I look back, what matters most is the people that I developed and the people that are better because I was a part of their lives. That that's was a really good, long Todd. Answer, sorry. No, that's <laughs> great. Uh, and obviously, we want to enter the next phase. How did you get to the hallowed halls of Lifeway? But that I love that phrase. I built my ministry on personality and hustle. And uh, I wonder how many of us grow up, you know, I could say similar things about the first couple of years, almost heading toward burnout. I mean, I literally was almost in the clutches of burnout um, when I really think God rescued me from myself in, in many ways. Um, I wonder what percentage of people uh, in ministry today are really thinking hustle will be enough, personality will be enough, because maybe it's been enough in sports growing up. Maybe it's been enough to get you elected to something. Uh, do you see that out there a lot, Todd? Yeah, I see most people um, have come up and through the church with a similar experience to me. They come to know Christ. Um, at some point, somebody asks them to do something, and they show up on time, and they do that well, and maybe they're even passionate about it. Uh, and then they begin to—somebody asks them to be over people, so they move from leading themselves well— to leading people. Now, most of the time, what happens is they just do that. They do whatever made them successful. They have a tendency to focus on those same things and just try to do those things better versus understanding that when I move from leading myself to leading others, or definitely when I move to leading leaders, a mind shift has to take place. The way I spend my time, the way I value my time, um, that all those things, those things have to shift and it has to shift in your brain. So part of what I think the issue is, is in our churches for the last 40 or 50 years, I'm a product of the church growth movement. But at the same time, I recognize that 
something disconnected with the church growth movement. And that is we moved from maps to menus. And when we moved from maps to menus, we started treating baptism like it was the finish line instead of the starting line. And so, you know, more and more uh, staff become professionally developed and things like that. And we, we almost, now I'm telling you, a lot of times we don't effectively move people from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 to Ephesians 2, 10 and help them recognize that he's their workmanship. But further still, when people get in those roles and they start to lead effectively in their churches and somebody asks them to then come on staff, they never meet, they never make the shift to Ephesians 4 and recognize that their number one job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, not to become a better doer, but to actually develop people. And no matter where you are in leadership or in a leadership pipeline, whether you're a volunteer, a leader, or a leader of leaders— uh, it doesn't matter. Your number one goal is to become who God's created you to be and multiply yourself there. You're not necessarily supposed to become the pastor or join staff or even become a coach. It's first, your number one job is to multiply yourself there. It's basic Great Commission stuff. If we fast forward, we look at Paul and Timothy. Um, you know, Paul tells Timothy, hey, what I've shown and done with you, do with others who will do with others as well, who faithful men who will go and do likewise. That's four generations of development. That's a multiplication, and we're not seeing that. And I think part of it is we haven't been taught that or we haven't been shown that. And just like in a discipleship conversation, a lot of guys will say, oh, well, nobody did that for me, so I don't know how to do it. Well, that's not an excuse at all. That's not an excuse because of what we've been called to. That's good. And obviously that's filtered through your story and now into other leaders. How do you get to develop leaders today? What do you spend your time doing through Lifeway? So um, it's really, it's a daily struggle for me personally, um, whether or not to work in the church or on the church. And by what I mean by in the church means, um, I still long for local church ministry, being connected to one church and one staff and being able to pour into those people. At the same time, I recognize the the privilege and the responsibility of being, you know, with Lifeway and, and having my job is to serve churches in their mission of making disciples and their mission of making leaders. So a lot of what I'm trying to do is resource people. Now, you know, even in the church, I would say when I was still in the church, I would say, Hey, you know, a lot of, a lot of my job is learning in front of people. A lot of my job is learning in front of my staff and becoming a better leader. Because if you're a leader and you're not a learner, especially in this day and age, you got a really short shelf life. That's right. And so it's understanding that my, my job here at Lifeway is, is that greater still. So you know, part of what I'm doing is reading uh, crazy numbers of books and then bringing some of the best of that saying, okay, how do I apply this to the church or spending time with specific churches, um, you know, in short stints of time. But I think it's, it hasn't changed from the beginning till now. And that is, you know, if you look at the life of Christ, men were his method. Uh, and you can see the breakdown of his time with the three and with the 12 and so on and so forth. It's 
it's still, I have to spend time with people in order to develop them. And so some of that is a couple of the guys on my staff. And then some of that is people in churches that I'm having, um, you know, six months or 12 months of time with, like it's, it's vitally important because there's so much of that that is not going to occur unless it's in the context of a relationship. It's sure you have to have training, but it's also experience and coaching within that experience that I think leads to really transformation because somebody can just download a course or watch a course and that's a transfer of knowledge, but that's transactional and only can help you so much. You really need to at least do that with other people or at least do that in some self-reflective type of manner, a framework to walk through in order for it to be um, most effective. So for me, um, my day-to-day is creating scalable content and systems and frameworks for people to walk through. If you, you know, I can't sit here and say, oh, we moved from maps to menus without creating a map and, and saying, okay, let's, we used to get people three times a week in our churches. Now we get them three times a month if we're lucky. And meanwhile, we've added a ton of complexity. We've added a ton more ministry. We've said, hey, bring bring us your dreams and we'll make them come true. You, you want to start that ministry? You have a passion for that? Let's do that. You have an affinity? Oh, you like dogs? Or oh, you like quilting? Or oh, you like whatever? Let's put you in a group. I mean, there's so much opportunity cost in our churches that we've had an insane amount of mission drift and ministry drift. Um, so no wonder... We have people that have been in our churches for 20 years and are still two-year-old baby Christians because it's a cruise to nowhere. And they're, they're, they're consuming all these little different things, but we haven't taken the time to think scope and sequence and walk them through um, a specific you know, kind of framework to get them at least the basics of what they need and where they need to go. That's good. And, and there's a lot in there. I remember as we were kind of looking over... Nashville from your old office and um, talking through these pieces, the maps to menus piece. I remembered a story. Uh, the moment I knew we needed to change something in a huge way at our church is I remember walking into the space and it was when we were doing Wednesday night stuff and probably every other church in town was doing Wednesday night stuff as well. And uh, I remember people literally opening it up like a menu, like, Ooh, like which class am I going to go to and which things coming up and how it changed and, you know, kind of them freaking out, like, you know, the FOMO, I don't want to miss this class and I'm fearing missing out on this thing and that thing. And then I look out in the parking lot and there's guys fly casting out in the parking lot as part of it. And I'm like, I love all of these things, but we've got to change, you know, our method behind this madness. So I uh, love that process of, um, seeing it from map and almost deconstruct or from menu, almost deconstructing that back and saying, we're not giving people a pathway. And so love the clarity around that um, in both of our conversations and, and also what you guys are helping churches with. And I can identify on that level of seeing uh, at a systemic level, there's so much going on and we've actually complexified and, and therefore confused our people. Um, let's shift a little bit into the the learning. I mean, you're a curator many times of content and what we should be learning. So who's shaping you these days? Maybe it's what you're reading, podcasts you're consuming, people you're spending time with, but who's shaping you these days? Um, I mean, I'm mostly getting shaped by books, uh, occasionally by podcasts, and then, um, and then people, you know, people I come into contact with or I'll meet 
Uh, and sometimes it's just the strangest, it's the strangest people in the strangest places that often have an impact on you. I mean, you know, um, we were talking before we went on air about Simon Sinek as an example. And so Simon Sinek was on five LQ a while back and he was talking about, I'm, I asked him the question, which is one of our standard questions. Who are you learning from? He talks about gaming and this is almost two years now, but if you ask me in 2017, what was the greatest spiritual conversation I had? I'm like, it was with Simon Sinek. I mean, I had to cut out parts of that podcast because it would have been, it wouldn't have gone well for Lifeway. Um, but you know, this guy's not a believer, of course. And, but he's talking about gaming. I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? He said, well, it used to be that, um, you had, there were only finite games and now there are infinite games. Okay. Break that down for me. He was like, well, finite games, you play to win or lose. And so think about games up until the last 10 years, there were finite games. You just played to win or lose. And now you have games where you just play to get better. You just play to get better and better and better and better at this game. And that's one of the things that the gaming industry uses to draw you in. Um, and, and so the interesting thing about that was he talked about time with Compaq and not Compaq, sorry, Microsoft uh, and Apple. And he's like, hey, here's the difference between these two companies and Walmart and Amazon. Here's the difference between these two companies. Walmart was playing a finite game. Amazon was playing an infinite game. Amazon's really the one that changed everything because they said, hey, we don't care about, you know, the balance sheet. We didn't care about the balance sheet for over a dozen years. You know, it, it was they were playing a different game than everybody else. And now they're ruling. Now, meanwhile, Walmart has flipped the script because Walmart is now playing Amazon's game. I bet most of your listeners in the last probably six months have now been onto walmart.com or Walmart's app. I bet you've ordered groceries and Walmart has figured it out. Walmart is shifting and they're gaining back a ton of share. So if you look at just real world stuff, um, think about those things. Now for me personally, like Todd, why on earth was this a spiritual moment for you? Well, because I'm a Christian and if anybody should understand the idea of an infinite game, it should be me. So why on earth at the end of the day or the end of the week, do I look at my life and my day as a win and loss column and tally up the results? That's not what it's about. It's good. It's about me getting better day by day. It's becoming more Christ-like. It's making sure that I have a contrite heart that is repenting every day of my sin. Because if I'm not, I'm becoming callous and I'm going to get shot out of the saddle. Because there were guys that I went to seminary with that were more godly than me, that had better prayer lives than me, that treated their family better than I did, all those things. And the only thing that I can think of, the reason why they got shot out of the saddle, is they compartmentalized their life and somehow they didn't remain in a posture of, of repentance. And so we are in an infinite game, guys. And forget about the win and the loss column. Make sure that you know who you are in Christ and you continually refine that and chase after that and stop looking at the days and the weeks and even the months as a win and a loss, but work and strive to get, cause you're going to lose. You're a loser without Christ. I'm a loser without Christ. 
So, That's all you need to take away from the podcast. You're a loser. <laughs> dot dot dot. Right. We'll we'll make sure we meme you on on that one. No, that's it's so good. And so let's kind of you know push the curtain back a little bit on your life. We want to get ridiculously practical here. Um, what are some ways we can do that? And what are some ways you do that to stay in that posture of understanding who I truly am in relationship to who God truly is? How do you do that week in and week out, Todd? Well, I think I think it one of those things is practicing daily repentance because sometimes it's it's so easy to go, you know, just to say, "Oh, I'm going to bed tonight and I'm praying through and I'm just, you know, kind of doing a, a a rote prayer or I'm praying for a meal and it's a rote prayer and really taking time to go, "Okay, what do I need to repent of?" Yes, I know God's grace covers a multitude of sin and his right you know, his blood covers everything I could ever do. Um, but I still need to put myself in that posture. So I really think it's all about moving from intuitive to intentional. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you're probably a leader. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, cause you are a leader, I would say the vast majority of people that are leaders are in place because they were a good intuitive leader, not necessarily because they were intentional. If you want to have a force multiplier on your life, on your legacy, on your impact in this world, you simply have to have a posture of intentionality and it's going to happen. Like stop living. And most people listening would say, oh, I don't live. My life's not neutral. Well, it probably is. It it probably is. Because unless you are considering in every meeting you go to, you need to say, you need to be in a learning posture there. Just to say, even if this was our standard weekly meeting, what is something that I can take out of this meeting and immediately apply? So for me, that might be... um, uh, that might be something like uh, I get caught not reading something that I was supposed to read in order to be prepared for the meeting. And because I consider myself a smart guy, I'm well read, I'm good on my feet. Well, you know what? The smartest guy in the room is the most prepared guy in the room. And if I took five minutes to read through what I was supposed to read through, or if I took five minutes to look at the agenda, I would be the smartest guy in the room. And do you know what I'm saying? Like it's a level of intentionality versus just saying, uh, you know, I know enough or, um, recognize that I'm in place because I'm a good intuitive leader. I'm good with people. I'm not a sociopath. I show up on time. I'm responsible. Awesome. That will, that will get you past most people. If you have a good attitude and a good work ethic, you're going to you're going to be successful over most people. But if you want to have an exponential force multiplier on your life, begin to have a posture of intentionality, put things into place, formal or informal. Um so for me that that Twitter was one of the most amazing things for me and I know that sounds really bizarre. But it was because I would walk out of a meeting and I would say, what did I learn from this meeting? Well, I learned that the smartest guy in the room is the most prepared guy in the room. Hashtag leadership. 
that's accountability for me because I know my team sees that. Um, and I just said that, you know, I just did that publicly. So, so that's something there. You talked about me, uh, tweeting through books. So, I mean, just this last weekend, I tweeted through another book, Making a Difference, R.C. Sproul. It'd been a long time since I read an R.C. Sproul book, but it was a really good book. It was about Christian culture and our posture and, and all that. Um, at the same time, uh, Beautiful Constraint is another book. That's a completely secular business book talking about the constraints that we're now seeing in business and the idea that we all think if I just have more resources, I could be more creative. Or I would do X, you know, and churches are guilty of that all the time. You know, if I only had budget, I could do this or that. No, the reality is the more resources you have, (laughs) the less creative you are. We get lazy. Yeah. So that's a great book as well. So um, it's, it's taking those things. And, you know, for me, tweeting through books started out as me being accountable because I I would know if I'm saying to a bunch of people on Twitter, Hey, I'm going to tweet through this book this weekend and I don't tweet through it. Somebody's going to call me out on it because somebody probably bought that book and wants to go through it with me. Um, so yeah, does that make, yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean, so many areas we talk about, you know, you were talking about limits or boundaries and we talk about at stay forth, how innovation comes from limits. It doesn't come from excess. It comes from limits. We have to be really scrappy as leaders to figure that out. And uh, just the idea of, it's really not even about the thing, right? That Twitter is a spiritual, right? We could use it in very, very secular self-seeking ways. Um, you know, certainly all kinds of destruction we could bring upon ourselves uh, in that way. Careful little thumbs, what we tweet. And then at the end of the day, you've used it in some really redeeming ways. But just that idea from intuitive to intentional, we'll talk about that. I'll leave you guys with a couple of questions here at the end of the podcast, because that's so much of what we talk about. What are you normally doing and how do you do that with intention? I want to talk about leadership development uh, conversations for a second. You get quite a um, broad, I guess, sample on a regular basis of conversations. What are some conversations right now happening around leadership development in the church? Well, I mean, honestly, it comes back to formal versus informal um, development. And, and I think one of the interesting things that you've got right now is the world of education is shifting where, you know, it used to be we had uh, degrees or a master's degree was it, man. And then I could do X and I could count on doing X for the rest of my life. But now, no, uh, you know, we're moving with uh, the speed of information. And so I'm only as good as, you know, what I learned last year, uh, not what not what I learned 10 years ago. And so if we're not if we're not learning, we got a short shelf life. So the blend of formal and informal education is massive and it's coming down the pike really fast. So you're seeing people that may have um, been educated in a particular area of ministry and now they're like, oh, I need more ongoing training with that. So I think um, development is is a big piece of that. Um, I'm also seeing homegrown leaders being really important. So one of the things that I ask people um, from time to time when they're in a a pipeline session is, 
hey, tell me about your best leader or tell me about your best staff person. I do this with megachurch pastors sometimes um, and then kind of Jesus juke them a little bit because I ask them to tell me and then they'll tell me about their poster child guy and then I'll say, did you build them or buy them? Did you build them or did you buy them? And most have bought them. They were not a homegrown person. So anytime you bring in somebody from outside your culture, you risk significant change to your culture. Now, you want to do that from time to time if there are unhealthy parts of your culture or culture you're trying to shift. But for the most part, you want to bring people up and and from within. Um, But over the course of time, our organizations and churches have drifted toward complexity, not simplicity. So it's harder and harder to do. That's good. And we've, man, we've already covered so much. Obviously, we can, we could chat for hours on any of these topics, um, talking even through the selection of leaders. That's so good. Let's not miss that, that we aren't just to buy trade uh, leaders, but actually to, to grow them up. And so I just think about if, if you're listening to this, who is under your care that has been unnoticed by others that you're supposed to notice, to affirm, to call into action and to develop the homegrown um, piece of that. Let's get really specific here. Um, most leaders wrestling through living an unintentional life, living kind of a haphazard life into an intentional life. What are a few areas of life that you think most leaders today in our culture need to get more intentional in? Um, I would say, so for me, at every period in my life where I've had to figure out what a new gear to find a new gear. Um, it's been, it comes back to discipline. You know, the, the, the spiritual disciplines are called discipline for a reason. It's a daily thing that you have to do. So most of the reasons why you'll be successful are because you're willing to do some mundane things that nobody else is willing to do. You're willing to get up before other people give up, get up. Uh, you, um, Instead of spending time scrolling through your phone, you're going to set up whatever post you're going to do for the day. Set apart a time for that, schedule those, and move on to the next thing. Um, It will be like if people listen to the 5LQ podcast or New Church's podcast, they would know, like, I don't watch TV. I don't really go to movies. I don't know anything about sports whatsoever, which you may say is really boring and makes me um, not really connected to most people. And I would tell you, okay, well then if I do some of those things, then I have to either neglect my job or my family. And I'm not going to neglect either one of those. And you might say, well, that's not neglect. That's just being balanced, but I'm weird. And and life is ministry and ministry is life. So for me, I'm like, none of those things. I'm not compartmentalizing anything. That's your um, risk. You're And you're willing to take it gladly. That's my risk and I'm willing to take it. And if I know that I'm not smarter than the other guy, but I'll work harder than he will and I'll read more than he will and I'm willing to do stuff he's not willing to do. So that's why I'll win. That's why I'll be ultimately... I don't know, more successful or whatever you want to say. It's like, hey, I'm going to be willing to do stuff that nobody else is willing to do in order to be successful in my role. That's something that from a straight business perspective or 
work ethic perspective that I think is, is vitally important to understand. Like I have a job to do for God. I have a job to do for my family and that's pretty much it. So I'm just going to go after those things and occasionally I'll do something that is fun, but I really think what I do is fun. So I like reading books. I like talking about all this stuff. So it, it is, it's not a sacrifice if you love what you do. I love it. So good. Well, Todd, thanks for spending some time with us today. You're always learning and, and curating. So I've learned secondhand, kind of chewing up the cud and, and spitting it out for other people. So thanks for doing that. And I know others are feeding off of that as well. Uh, where can folks find you? I know you're doing some exciting stuff. Tell us just briefly about how we can find your new podcast, but where can people track along with you? Okay. So, uh, believe it or not, I got three podcasts now, which just sounds crazy because between them, I don't know how many episodes it is a week, but it's a lot. Um, that is five leadership questions. That is at five LQ podcast on Twitter, or just look at my Twitter, which is at Todd Atkins, ADKINS. Um, then there's new churches. If you're a church planter or a multi-site guy, new churches is really good. It's me, Daniel M. Ed Stetzer. Uh, and you can find that on, you know, any, wherever you consume your podcasts. And then I started a new daily devotional podcast that was already written and millions of people have already read the book. That is Spurgeon's morning and evening, just because I was like, man, this is a classic. Um, somebody needs to do it and do it well. So I just went for it and did it. So I don't really do anything other than I have to figure out a way to pay for it. Um, which is what I do now. But that's about it. So come hang out with Todd and a dead Spurgeon who's even as wise, maybe wiser than he was even when he's alive. But man, love, uh, love how you're learning, what you're digging into. Guys, give Todd a follow. Uh, jump along on his podcast. Thanks for dropping in on us today and sharing some wisdom. And uh, yeah, love, love what you're doing there. And uh, it's making ripples all across the country. Thanks for your time today, Todd. Uh, thanks so much, Alan. so much leadership gold in that episode. I just want to leave you with a couple of questions here at the end. First of all, have you built your leadership on personality and hustle? Have you just built your leadership on personality and hustle? Maybe that was enough for you in the past and it got you to the spot that you're at, but you're hitting up against a barrier. And then secondly, what do you need to do to go beyond just a ministry or a leadership of personality and hustle. Last question, what are some specific ways that you need to move from intuitive to intentional leadership? What are a few ways you need to move from intuitive to intentional leadership? It will only take you so far. And we are stewards of this one life we've been given. We only have so much energy each day and each week. We are limited, finite beings. Uh, so much of our coaching and our consulting actually zeroes on that topic that we are limited. And so we need to use the resources that we have the very best way that we can. So we want to invite you to go to our resource page at stayforth.com backslash resources. And you can find some ways, especially to invest your best energy. On a weekly basis, we have a tool called the Weekly Planning Grid that's helping hundreds of leaders across the country organize their weeks so that they can be as effective and efficient as possible. And secondly, we have one called the Annual Energy Map that actually helps you see the whole year 
in the course of big projects and ideas? When is the best time to implement something in the course of your year? So the weekly planning grid and the annual energy map are great ways for you to specifically move from intuitive to intentional leadership. So thanks again for joining us on another awesome podcast with Todd Adkins today. Think through those questions, apply them to your leadership, and even invite your team into this. As always, we ask you to rate, review, and share. Take a screenshot, let your friends know. The best way that you can help us is actually by writing a review so that we can get in front of more eyeballs and ultimately more ears can hear the message of hope that you don't have to lose your soul if you're a leader. Keep leading well. So long.